Peter Schwitzer? Oh, yeah, it's the guy I listened to when I made my first billion. He's one clever son of a... Five, four... We're online. The hottest internet station. It's time for The Switzer Show with the guy who makes getting richer easier than running up a credit card bill, Peter Switzer. Hello and welcome to The Switzer Show. I'm Peter Switzer. I'm joined by my colleague, Paul Rickard. Hi, Paul. Hi, Peter. Today, we're going to be talking to Tony Nash. Tony Nash is the founder of Booktopia. And this has really been a great local success story, hasn't it, Paul? Taking on the likes of Amazon and realize I've turned over about $130 million a year nowadays. Well, they have been a fantastic success story, Peter. I think they've been in the Telstra Business Awards, Australian Business Award, eight times or something. Yeah, or, taking it out you know, three or four times. And then, uh, as uh, I think we'll hear, you know, someone saying that they're tracking on Amazon in books. Mm. I mean, you know, is they smoking something? <laughs> That's right. Exactly. So, uh, but apparently they've taken on Amazon and, and look, done really they've, well. They've done really well. So a great Australian success story. It does show story. that you can, you can beat a giant mm. uh, in your own backyard as long as you know what you're doing and you're really focused on the customer. Exactly right. And then we'll talk to uh, our go-to accountant, David Giles. Look at the budget to see what are the things that people should be aware of if they're, if they're just a, an income earner, a small business owner, or invested in superannuation or whatever. We'll see what Jolly has to say. And also, with the end of the tax year coming up and the new one starting, of course, in June, the question I'm going to ask him, should people come before the end of the financial year or right at the start to make sure that the next year is, is done properly? Well, it's a good question, Peter, because uh, with the effective doubling of what's called the low and middle income tax Offset. Well done, Paul. Uh, there's a bit of a reason to get your tax return in because you Early, won't yeah. you won't get the tax offset until you you put your tax return in. So, initial bit of boost for accountants and. Uh, mm. Potentially, people could get that money from as early as the first of July. It's a thousand and eighty dollars for most middle income earners, so mm. it's it's worth doing and. Um, Look, a, a reason to actually do a tax return, I guess, for many people. Yeah. Apart from that's the law, Peter. But yeah. you know, I mean, I'm just trying to. No, uh, it's a really good a, point, Paul. Yeah, you've been pushing that point. A lot of people, a lot of people, just are very relaxed about their uh, their tax. They didn't read much of the story on the budget. It's, it's a good thing that we're going to remind them, and it's good for, good for Giles as well. He'll be very busy, probably bringing mm. a lot of money as well. So, without any further ado, let's go and welcome Tony Nash, the founder of Booktopia. All right, Tony, thanks for joining us on the program. Pleasure. Now, Tony, the success story of Booktopia is quite an extraordinary one. Most people would have thought that you guys would have disappeared down the gurgle created by Amazon, but that's not the case. How have you done it? <laughs> it's a great question. Look, I think um, obviously it's, it's not about us and what we did. It's more about you know, what are customers still wanting? Do, what do they want? And they wanted to own and buy physical books. And I think the prediction that we made many years ago about that people actually still wanted to buy physical books um, and really focusing on that has meant that we've actually met the demands of customers in Australia. So we're turning over, we're going to do about $130 million in revenue this year, up from $113 million last year. And I think the number two online book retailer is doing about $20 million. So I think we got that very right. Yeah. And so explain to my audience where the idea from Booktopia came from and how you actually got it to happen. Because a lot of people, 
employees who dream of starting their own businesses or small business people who listen to this who want to grow their business like you have, they'd love to know how you went from the idea to the, the actual starting of the business. And we'll find out what turbocharged it along the way. Look, we, um, there was no great vision or you know, light bulb moment. And we thought, aha, let's do an online bookstore. Um, because um, it was just a little evening side project that I started on a budget of $10 per day. Now, background, and when I say our, I'm in business with my brother, my sister and my brother-in-law, and um, we've got obviously you know, many employees who have been with us for many, many years. So it goes well beyond the family. But back in the day, 15 years ago when we started, it was just an evening project because before that we, were, we ran an internet marketing consultancy. We were getting people to the top of Google, driving traffic into the, our customers' websites, and and we had done a job for Angus and Robertson to get them to the top of Google, which introduced us to the book industry. And they were using a company that managed bookstore websites and fulfilled those orders. And we used that platform to get going. So it was no you know great plan. We just started off on a budget of ten dollars per day. Um, but from day one, we did ask that question: What do our customers want? And and by continually asking that over fifteen years. Um, and really focusing on, you know, where where are they actually going to hand over cash? Like, it's not. It's great to have an idea, great to have a business, but are you are you seriously creating a situation here where people go, I want that, and I am willing to trust you to deliver for me? And so, by by focusing on those things, and I think you'll see if you actually go to there's a website called the Wayback Machine on archive.org. You can actually look back at the Booktopia website in 2004, 7th of February, when we, the day that we made our first sale. They took a HTML photograph of how our website looked. You don't have to worry about how good your site looks. Just get it up there and get people transacting with you. Mm. It seems to me, um, Tony, and I'll, I'll, get, I'll let Paul interrupt in a minute, but I just want one more question before I get Paul to ask you a question. It seems to me that, okay, you are being contracted by groups like Angus and Robertson to help them, you know, do well on the internet. And so it was like a, for them, it was a transition from what they know, bricks and mortar type uh, bookshops, to the internet. But you started off as an internet company, didn't you? Because that was what you did. Do you think that was your competitive advantage over companies that were coming from the old world and trying to embrace the new world? Uh, look, I think from our side, where we had an advantage is that, is that the business as a side project was um, within a, a luxurious position just to get its own organic momentum because we were paying ourselves a salary uh, through our day job. And even though it was also our business, it wasn't, it wasn't an, issue, an issue for us to go, oh, my God, this business has to work because... If we don't, then we won't be able to put food on the table. Mm. So, from that from that perspective, um, it was it was quite you know that was quite advantageous back then. But you got to understand back back when I started, people said to me, "What do you want to start a bookstore for? You're too late." You know, there's Amazon, there's Borders, there's Dimmix, there's Angus and Robertson. And today, 15 years later, people say to me, "That's lucky you got in early." <laughs> Look, Tony, just talking about sort of the industry itself, books versus. Uh or traditional books versus e-readers and other digital format. Uh, I, I gather there's been a swing back to people actually wanting things in, in physical hard copy. Is is do you see that continuing, or have we just reached a balance where, you know, sometimes people want it in digital format, others are just happy for the convenience of uh, actually being able to flick a page and go back to something in a previous chapter that they might have missed. 
is very interesting because across the world it's a very similar theme that's happening with people and and I think uh, look there's definitely the uh, the e-reader um, consumers who that's all they do now they love reading e-books and they've found their little uh, you know place in the world um, others are listening to books so it's they, they like the audio version and and others are, are demanding physical and within physical it can be it could be the hardcover version it could be the paperback version could be large print version you know there's many ways people can can consume the content but uh, it, i think what we're hearing a lot of is it's like i have had way too much time on the screen you know my phone computer mm-hmm. i i want to take time out i want to hold a book i want to sit on the couch or when i go on holidays i don't i don't want to have another screen this is so i think people are now getting to that it's getting a little bit more mature people are going well how, how do i really want to consume the content and they're making these these, you know, life decisions around around how they actually want to engage with, with the author. Tony, you, in 2018, you went into the Telstra Business Awards and you took out the award for the medium-sized business. Um, what, tell us the, the, the payoff for, A, entering the awards and, and, B, I guess the marketing implication uh, of winning an award like that. Yep. Look, the reason well, when we first started out, because of, we've, we've been a finalist seven times, we actually won that award in 2014. We won it again last year, last year although we added to that because we won New South Wales Business of the Year, and we also won the Australian Award for People's Choice. The thing about the awards that we found early on, and this is interesting, I think, for uh, business owners, is it, is, it, can, look, it can be a hassle. You've got to put the effort in to fill out all these forms. But when, someone, when people don't know who you are, and you're trying to build trust through the website to go, should I do business with these guys? Some of these awards are really helpful in terms of um, you know, the wider community going, oh, right, so they, they were a finalist in the Telstra Business Awards. We, we were also, uh, we're the only company ever to make the BRW, now the AFR, Fast 100 eight times. And when you put those uh, trust icons, which is what we call them, on your website, and people go, well, should I really do business with these guys? And they're dithering over the, you know, you know, finishing off the the order. You know, pay. Here's my credit card details. These are the these are the trust icons. We actually tested our website and we said, let's serve up the site with the, the little images at the top for the Telstra Business Awards and the BRW, and let's do it without. And two percent more sales we were making when the images were there. And on 100, sorry, go on. on 130 on 130 million dollars. Hmm. That's that's two and a half million dollars in sales just by having those trust icons. So mm. they can, it can be very advantageous. Yeah, and, and mate, I've, I've learned over the years, I've covered these awards ever since they actually started. And one thing I've found is that a lot of people say, even if you don't win, the whole process of actually going through the, the awards entry makes you actually be objective about your business. Did you find that helped you as well? Absolutely, especially the Telstra ones. I mean, the others are all very good too, but the Telstra Business Awards is very rigorous. And so some of the questions that they ask, I remember the very first one, and the questions have changed over the years, but one of the questions was, you know, what sort of key man insurance have you got? Now, I I may have heard, but, you know, it's like, what exactly is key man insurance? You know, it's like, oh, so all the key people in your company, how are they insured? So should something happen to them? How is the business going to be able to continue on and survive? And through that process, because we had none. Mm. Now, not to say that we didn't win because we didn't have team man insurance, but it was like, yeah, we should have that. You know, the business is already probably, I don't know, 2000 and 
2012, so we would have been doing about 20, $25 million. It was like, yeah, we, we should have that. And, and so therefore, um, ever since then, we, we've included key man insurance as part of the way that we you know, build corporate governance. Tony, do you have a delivery advantage over Amazon? Pretty similar, pretty similar in Australia because they, they also need to use Australia Post. Um, it's more about how fast can we get it to the Australia Post. So it's, it's, um, it's, that's more the key here in Australia. So we have, we're shipping 30,000 individual books per day. We're also inbounding 30,000 individual books per day. And so therefore the investment in the automation, that's why we decided to be right next to the Australia Post hub here in Sydney, which is in Chalora, where we're not that far away in uh, just near the Olympic Stadium. So it's about you know, how fast can you get it into it from you to them. And that's why we actually hold a lot of stock. So 150,000 titles in stock, about 600,000 units, because as those orders come through, we want to be able to pick, in, pick them, pack them and get them out to the customer. So basically... Uh, Pretty similar, pretty similar. The thing is with Amazon is they don't really, they're not really focusing on books. I think if anyone went to Amazon.com.au and did a search uh, and then in the buy box, quite often you're not seeing Amazon Australia uh, shipping the book. It's going to be someone else or it could be someone from overseas because Amazon's worked out. They actually make more money by getting somebody else to sell the book to somebody else rather than them, them fulfilling it because their 20% commission that they charge for making the sale is much more profitable business through their marketplace. And what's, so, so, sure. you, so your competitive advantage, uh, Tony, is obviously knowledge of the local market. You know what customers want. It's, it's the physical part as well. Just to, sort of how, when you sort of people ask you, how do you compete against a, a giant like Amazon? How do you respond to that? Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great, really great question. Because what happened was it, it must have been about four or five years ago, and Amazon still hadn't got here, but. We just kept, you know, firing up and soldiering on and doing doing what we do. But it was like, well, hold on a second. Around the world, and in, in an Amazon mature environment, so in Europe or in North America, who is doing well and why are they doing well? So I made a little bit of a personal, you know, research. Everyone that I came up with that was doing extremely well focused on the one vertical, and they did that as good as they could do. And I thought, well, that's us. We're going to focus on books, and we're going to do it even more so. Than before, and that's why, in the last couple of years, we've actually, um, we've, I mean, we're still doing online retailing, but we're also now being a um, book distributor. So we're actually being um, being uh, appointed by publishers around the world to be the distributor of their books in Australia, which means mm. we're holding all the publisher stock here in Australia, which means even faster to the customer. And I think, from that perspective, I think most people need to to realise that when Amazon is everything to everyone. They mm. cannot be one thing to one vertical. And and for those that are out there who are thinking about their own business, we just don't think about the competition in that way. We don't focus on the competition. We don't look at it, at the competition. I mean, it's uh, I, you know I've said it once before that the way um, the way that we operate is when I was younger, 30 years ago, I was an athlete. Um, I was a decathlete, and my my, my sprint coach would say to me, if you want to slow down, just look to the left or look to the right. That'll slow you down. But if you want to go fast, find a point at the end of the you know, end of the lane, you focus on that, you have peripheral vision so you kind of know where everyone else is, and you run at, to, towards that point. And I guess that's the kind of way that we deal with our own competition. We don't we don't focus on them. We just focus on what we've got to do and, and make sure we do a great job. Tony Nash, thanks for joining us on The Switzer Show. Pleasure.
And that was Tony Nash, the founder of Booktopia. Now, you could say that 2019 so far has been politically challenging, Paul, and you must be wondering how this political roller coaster will affect your financial future. Well, our Switzer Investor Strategy Day is back in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane to cover all these topics. You know, our first one is at the end of April and we roll into May for Melbourne and Brisbane. Uh, the tickets are only $39. We'll have some of the best fund managers in the country giving you their views on how they're going to invest for the rest of the year. And if you want to know more about it, just go to www.switzerevents.com.au. I hope I see you there. Well, Paul, you know, with the strategy day coming up, there's a whole lot of really interesting issues around investing. Let's kick off with Woolworths first, because there are a lot of people out there who hold Woolworths shares, and there's a thing called an off-market buyback, which I'm sure a lot of people don't fully understand. So explain what it is and what could be worth for people holding a, a Woolworths share. Yes, yeah, so Woolworths is doing an off-market share buyback of $1.7 billion, Peter. Huge. Look, it follows uh, their sale of the petrol business. You remember all those Woolworths branded petrol stations? Yeah. They've sold them. They haven't changed the branding as much. You'll still be able to buy, get you get your four cent a litre discount, mm. but they don't own the petrol stations anymore. They just market, supply the goods that yeah. get you know in the, in the convenience store, mm. but they're not actually owned by Woolworths. So they got... Uh, about $1.7 billion back, yep. uh, and they're going to return that to shareholders through an off-market buyback. Now, the motivation is in part because Woolworths has what are called excess franking credits, mm. which we know are of, uh, you know, there's currently a bit of political debate about those at Bill the moment. Bill Shorten doesn't like yep. franking credits in the hands of retirees. Yep. And, and in the hands of the company, they're not worth anything, but they're worth something to you and I as shareholders. Mm. So an off-market share buyback allows Woolworths to distribute those franking credits to shareholders by allowing effectively people to sell the shares back to Woolworths. Now, what they aim to do is they buy the shares back at below market, so they pay less for the shares than they're actually worth on the market. Mm. But because a lot of that return is through a frank dividend, lots of shareholders, depending on their tax rate, want to accept. So it's sort of a win-win for the company. Mm. It's a win-win for some shareholders. And even if you don't accept, effectively the company's buying, redeeming its capital, get it reducing its capital base at a much lower cost than it would have went if it went on market. So, uh, okay. And the reason they're doing it now, Peter, not just the sale of the, of the business, but also because of the change hmm. coming up on the 1st of July should Bill Shorten Win become Prime Minister, yeah. you know, these sort of buybacks won't be that popular because a lot of the retirees won't be able to use the franking credit. So okay. that's the, one of the reasons they're getting in before the 30th of June. Okay. So what does a shareholder receive? And there are different yeah. sorts of shareholders. There aren't? are different sorts of shareholders. We'll come to who should do it. But mm. let's assume Woolworths uh, shares are around 30 bucks at the yep. moment. So you'll tender your shares uh, through a process and all shareholders will be getting a booklet mm. sometime this week. And there'll be there's a closing date in the middle of May to tender their shares. And presumably, you'll probably tender them at the maximum discount of 14%. So that means that Woolworths will buy the shares from you, which are worth $30 if you sell them on the ASX at the moment, only $25.80. Now, what's important of that return of $25.80 is that $4.79 is deemed to be a capital amount. And the remainder, that's $21.01, is deemed to be a fully frank dividend that has all the franking credits. Sounds like a big dividend, doesn't it? It is a yeah. very, very big dividend. And uh, that's what makes it so attractive to some shareholders. Mm. So let's tell, talk about 
who should okay. say yes. Yep. So it's effectively a tax transaction. That is, you're getting something as, as, as a tax benefit. So it works really well for shareholders who are paying that fantastic tax rate of 0%. The best of all. The best of all, particularly for things like self-managed super funds in pension phase, uh, or perhaps uh, someone who has a little bit of al- able to access the, the tax-free threshold of 18200 just has some shares. So it works really well for them. Works okay for self-managed super funds in accumulation mode, paying tax at 15%. Yep. And if you're a high-rate taxpayer, that is, you're paying tax at, say, 32.5% or 39% or 47%. And you own your shares outside super. And you super. own your shares outside super, forget about it. Yep. Right? Just throw the offer booklet in the waste paper bin. Don't even open it. It doesn't make any sense. So right. let me just give you some numbers to prove that. Okay. Pair. So let, let's assume that you're in, you've got a self-managed super fund in pension mode, paying yep. tax at, uh, at that rate of 0%. If you sell your shares on market, you'll get $30. If you sell the shares in the off-market buyback with a discount of 14%, your effective selling price is about $34.80. Making $4 on the market price. $4.80 on the market price. And that's that's a gain of uh, of more than 10% by selling it in the off-market So Bill Shorten is doing something good for you because this wouldn't be happening, would it, Paul, if Bill Shorten wasn't sort of putting the frighteners on franking credits? Of course, the key thing to realise here is you're selling some shares. So... Yeah, you've got to ask yourself, do you want to sell Woolworth shares? Yeah. Uh, and if you do, what will you do with the proceeds? You know, do you keep it in cash? Do you invest it in something else? Or potentially just buy, buy those again. those same shares back on market pocket again? Pocket the $4.80. Right. And Easy. pocket the $4.80. Mm. So, look, that's what it's worth to a super fund uh, in pension those mode. Those retirees uh, are so su- lucky. <laughs> a super fund in accumulation mode, look, it depends a little bit about what you act, the price you actually paid for the shares you're yeah. selling, yeah. but it's worth about thirty-one dollars and forty cents. So it's still more attractive. That, and that's in mindful of capital gain. Yep, Paul. What, what is the capital gains tax for for a, a super fund? Okay, in so mode? super fund and pension, no capital gains yep. tax to worry right. about. Um, but for a super fund and accumulation mode, what they'll end up with in most cases is actually a, a capital loss. Yeah, and they'll actually be able to because of the very low selling price, effective selling price of. Uh, they'll actually end up with a capital loss that they'll be able to offset against other capital gains. So, mm. look, it gets a little more complicated. There yeah. are some examples. Got some, we go through all the numbers in the Switzer Super Report. Yep. Uh, and if all these things, you know, if in doubt, so, see your accountant if you're not sure. Yeah, but, so uh, if a person isn't a subscriber to the Switzer Report, you call it the Switzer Super Report. You used to call it that. It's now the Switzer Report. Because it's for normal people it as is well. For normal people. We got all the great stock advice from some fantastic smart people or education, let's call it. But, Paul, you can actually just take a, a free trial, can't you, the Switzer Report? You can Report, take out a free trial. And get the and access you'd be to the story. So, there are lots of Woolworth shareholders. It was, again, it was, uh, it's been hugely successful because the original uh, IPO price for Woolworths was $2.45, <laughs> if yeah. you remember back that far. Yeah. Back in about 1998, yeah. I think it was. Yeah. So uh, always, I always regret not doing that. But Paul, a lot of people have bought over the 30s because Woolworths was over it's, the 30s it's, for a long time. It's still going to work for most people. Yeah. So, it, it, so it'll work for super funds and pension. Work for other zero-rate taxpayers. Mm. Look, pretty well works for most super fund in accumulation mode. And if you're paying tax above 30 percent. Don't even think about it. it okay, next work. area, Paul. Property prices. You wrote a really good story on Switzer Daily. How Bill Shorten actually could be okay for property prices well, at least until I'm, January I'm, 1. I'm saying bring it on, Bill, up till January 1, Peter, yeah. because I've actually become a little bit of a property market bull. Yeah. 
And then I'm worried about the cliff in 2020. That's right. <laughs> Let me... Once January 1's over, I'll run for the hills. <laughs> Let me explain why it's, uh, the 1st of January 2020 is so important. Mm. Of course, the two really important things changed here. First of all, uh, the ban on negative gearing comes into play. Yep. So that means there's be a little bit of urgency for people that, that want to negatively gear. They can buy a property up until the 31st of December mm. and still be out of negatively gear. But if they buy that same property on the 1st of January 2020, no, no negative gearing. But also the, the change to the capital gains tax discount rate from 50% to 25%. Now, that's the, that's the reduction you, you get in your capital gains tax uh, if you've held the asset for more than 12 months. Mm. That actually has a much bigger impact on how much you, your gain needs to be yeah. to pay tax. And the magic number here for a taxpayer paying tax at 47% is it actually has an impact of 18% on the value of the property. So mm. if you buy a property on the 31st of December 2019, yes. you can afford to pay 18% more... Than you could if you bought it on the first of January two thousand twenty, assuming you pay tax at forty seven percent to be in exactly the same position after tax when you sell it. Yeah. So, so so Bill Shorten's play here, if he becomes prime minister, could offset all those doomsday merchant predictions that the house housing market and the house prices are going to fall. It might happen after January 20, but certainly there could be a six-month window where people say this is the best time to buy property, particularly for an investor. Yeah, and, look, and there are a couple of other things in play, Peter. I mean, I, I will put some caveats on this. Of course, mm. I think the banks are starting to ease up a little bit on the lending side yep. because APRA's, uh, who's the regulator, has removed a couple of the impediments. So mm. I, my sense is banks are easing up a bit. Yep. Secondly, of course, we know that... Uh, uh, interest rates aren't going up. No. Nope. If anything, you're starting to see the fixed rates and the mortgage rates starting to creep down as the yep. banks fight. And I reckon you're going to see more. You know, bill yeah. rates have gone back to the cash rate. I think you're going to see a, bit, a few below out of cycle decreases, mm. Peter, on interest rates from the banks as they fight to get a bit of share back. Mm. So we, we might see some tasty offers in the interest rate market shortly. And thirdly, I think the other factor that puts it for me, Peter, is uh, I picked up this courtesy of Alan Kohler and some work he just did on the core logic data. Mm is that Sydney house prices uh, are now down by about 13.9% peak to trough. Yeah. Uh, Melbourne's down about 10.9%. And if you go back and look at the last two sort of big home market recessions, the first one being in the 1990-91 recession, that was the recession we had to have, mm. courtesy of uh, the then Paul treasurer, Paul Kitty. Yep. And then the GFC, that was about the peak to trough decline in house prices on average. So mm. I think that's a bit of a bull factor. So... I think there are reasons to be cautiously optimistic for the home market in the next six to nine months. Yep. I'm a little bit worried about just the timing issue about the 1st of January, but uh, I know I'm looking in the market and I think there's a few other yeah. investors are going to be just a bit more encouraged to go out yeah. there and have a look. Because prices are down, you could pick up a property that you're happy to hold for 10 or 15 years, get the rents, you still get capital gain. You, will, you won't get the capital gain discount the same magnitude, but over a long period of time, taking the rents, it could be a reasonable play for some people. Yeah, I mean, look, and that's what you're supposed to do. I mean, if you yeah. think about it, it's logical. When prices are cheap, we should more want to buy. And when Correct. prices are expensive, we should be more inclined to sell. Yeah. So, uh, look, that's always harder, a lot easier to say than do, of course. Yeah. That's not the way most of us work. But, uh, yeah. look, that's the reason. So, look, I think, just come back to where we started, I mean, there are – this election is really important. It comes back to um, – uh, the, uh, the series of our, our seminars and our yep. strategy days coming up. I mean, there's some huge impacts because of this election and, and things like 
you know, if, if we do see a change of government, we've now got dates when these things apply. Mm. We've got a lot of companies doing things with dividends, mm. off-market buybacks, special dividends before the 30th of June, all trying to get in before yeah. uh, Bill Shorten comes to government. That has an impact on the cash in the market. Yeah. There's some big impacts out and there. And also, we should say, this is not just about property. No. If you buy a stock before January 20, you'll get that capital gains discount a 50% yeah. discount, but if you buy it after, it won't. So yeah. it's, 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 anything, yeah. stock, artwork, artwork, whatever you're investing, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's more yeah. than property. And it, I, I've actually said this is the biggest sleeper. This is a bigger issue than the negative gearing yeah. ban. Yeah. But uh, yeah. you know, it's a big, big change. Huge story. And, and, and you heard it here story. first on you the Switcher <laughs> Show. Thanks to Paul Rickard and his great work. Coming up after the break, we'll be talking to David Giles. He's our go-to accountant. He's not a boring accountant. And we're going to talk about the budget and the things that you need. And Paul also has another thing, that you've got to get your tax return in early. That coming up after the break. And now, a word from our sponsors. Have you got a home loan? Do you know what you're being charged? Check your rate, and if it's more than 3.89%, call us at Switzer Home Loans. Our rate for a variable home loan is 3.89%. That's right, 3.89% is all you'll pay. Interested? Call 1300 664 339 or Google Switzer Home Loans. Too many people spend money they earned to buy things they don't want to impress people that they don't like. So stick with Switzer and get rich. Where are me teeth? And don't forget, when we talk about a headline rate of 3.89%, it is also our comparison rate because there is no difference between our headline rate and our comparison rate. Always remember, if you go for a loan, to find out what the comparison rate is because that's where they add the extra fees in it and whatever. Now, our next guest is David Giles, who's a senior taxation accountant at MoneyWise in Melbourne. And Giles is the guy we like to go to when we have taxing-type questions. So, uh, Giles, thanks for joining us. Great to be back, Pete and Paul. Okay, so first of all, my first question is the budget and normal income earners. What are the big takeouts that you've worked out from the budget? Well, the biggest one that I see for most of our, our normal clients, and these are clients earning between 48000 and $90,000 per year, they're going to be looking at a bit of a sugar hit when they come time to do their tax return uh, this coming year because they're going to be up for a new tax offset that's just a one-off at this stage of $1,080 called the um, low to medium income tax offset. So if you're earning anywhere between that $45,000 and $90,000 mark, you'll get the full $1,080. If you earn over $90,000, that will be progressively reduced down until you earn more than $125,000, in which case you won't get anything out of that. So it's a new change. So your taxes that you've been withheld from your wages during the year that hasn't assumed that this offset's coming through. So all things being equal, when you lodge your return next uh, in about you know three to four months' time for 2019 financial year, you'll get that extra $1,000 back in your refund. And presumably, Gilesy, the sooner you lodge your tax return, the sooner you get the tax offsets. Does that mean that is that good business for accountants or good for I mean good for customers? Are you, are you did you open the champagne cork when you saw that? <laughs> Announced? Well, I think it's good Good for everybody, I good like for to everybody. say. Win, win. I mean, the <laughs> bottle, not the cork. You took the, take the cork out, or is it too early to do that? So it makes us accountants look good when we can go back to our clients and give them a nice big refund, but it's also good, 
good without too much work, but it's also great for the um, for the individual because this has increased by an extra five hundred dollars to what had previously been the case. So it's a it's a really good one, particularly for most people because their taxes haven't taken account of this. It is going to be some real money that they'll see in their hands come tax time. So if someone was expecting a thousand dollars refund, it's gone to two thousand and eighty. If you're in that, that's correct. The right, the right. Uh, if you're in that category, so if you're below, even if you're below that category, you'll still get a deduction, a minimum of two hundred and twenty-five dollars, um, then progressively increasing up to the thousand and eighty. So if you're at say thirty-seven thousand dollars, you might get around about six hundred dollars. Uh, and Giles, if you share your champagne with your clients, is that tax deductible for your business? Well, the alcohol is my biggest issue here. It's. Uh, wouldn't be always deductible, but if we have a, you know, maybe a non-alcoholic champagne or a, some sort of other sort of spritz without too much alcohol, we can try and argue the point on that with the ATO. Okay, right. Yeah. Let's go to budget issues for small business because there was a, a mm. ripper, wasn't there? Yes. Well, my good, my old good friend, the uh, immediate tax deduction for um, small and small and medium-sized businesses, um, that's been increased from twenty thousand dollars up to now, up to this new rate that which has been absolutely fantastic for us mm. so that's now up to thirty thousand dollars and that's going to be implemented from immediately now mm. and then run through to 30th of june 2020 now that's on the assumption that of course the budget goes through as expected yeah. but that's an increase from last year which are the current rules under which is twenty thousand dollars so that's any asset that you purchase up to that new thirty thousand dollar rate can be immediately deducted against your income mm. so you, you could go and buy twenty uh, individual assets that are valuable to your business under 30 grand and be able to claim the whole lot in one big hit. That's exactly right. That's mm. the idea for it because it just gives that incentive to small to medium business mm. to go out and purchase that new equipment that they've been hanging on to. And this new rate of uh, $30,000 up to claim and then also the other change that's coming in with it is they've increased it to a medium-sized business. So that's mm. up to a turnover of, of up to $50 million. Yeah. So previously it was at $10 million and now it's 50 So the situation where you've got your small supermarket, small to local supermarket, that might quite easily turn over more than $10 million a year. They were previously locked out of that um, claim mm. because of their volume of turnover was so high. But now this up to $50 million. So it really will hit quite a lot of businesses um, that were previously locked out. So it's a real good incentive over the next um, 18 months to um, make those equipment purchases. And Giles, there's probably other couple of important points to note with this. First of all, it's just an acceleration of depreciation. Things are always, de mm. you could depreciate in the past, but it might have been over five or seven years. Now you can depreciate mm. in one fell swoop up front. Yeah. But, and also... Yeah, that's... that's You've, your company's got to be making money, doesn't it? Because it's a tax deduction, that, not a tax correct. offset. So just explain why that's important. Yeah. So so in order for this actually to be of, of use, your business does need to be making a profit. So if I was a company and my company tax rate at the moment 27.5% and I've made $100,000 profit for the year, I'd be paying $27,500 worth of tax. But if I've got now this tax deduction, so I've spent, say, a $10,000, you know, couple of computers or something like that, total up to be $10,000, well, that's now reduced my taxable income by that $10,000. So it saved me $2,700 worth of tax. So, but whereas if I was making a loss, so I was running at say a $20,000 loss, well, all that's doing is pushing down my loss and making my loss greater in this year. So it won't save me any tax, but that loss will carry forward to the next year. So hopefully save me some tax. In the so for small year, and medium business, they need better. to just think a little bit about you know what their mm. books look like for the year. 
And then, of course, you know, invest it in something that's going to make a difference to future revenue or future costs, because that's the whole idea of this is in terms of that, that, getting productive machinery, correct. isn't it? Yeah, so, yeah, it's all about, yeah, buying something that's actually of a need for your business. So if it allows you to be more productive or more efficient, um, I've had more new clients of mine in uh, a dentist of mine. He bought a couple of new dental chairs, um, mm -hmm. which were just some upgraded ones, and that used up the full $20,000, but it allowed him to then be more efficient in what he was doing and also got an old room that was being currently used as storage now operating as a fully-fledged dental um, chair, which brought in a lot of extra revenue for us. And, and it's not so a capital, it's, it's, it's $30,000 per item, is that right? So you can do as Correct, many items yeah. as you mm -hmm. want? Yeah, so as long as that item can stand alone, you know, effectively on its own two feet, so it's not a part of a larger item. So say if you had a, like a printing press, um, they can be hundreds of thousands of dollars. You can't slice that up into $30,000 lots. And assemble. Um, if you can... Yeah, and then assemble it later on. Hmm. If you can, if that item can be work and function in its own right for less than thirty thousand dollars, then that's claimable. Yeah. But taking so your dentist's like example, if you had, let's say, you hmm. had a chair, I'd have no idea what a dental chair costs. But let's yeah. let's assume probably it, more than thirty. Let's assume gone. it costs thirty thousand yeah. dollars. I could actually buy five chairs, couldn't I? And if, if get five invoices, that would all stack up, wouldn't it? Would yes. that stack up? That that's correct. Yeah. Yep. So right. even if it's from purchase from at the same chairs. time from the same supplier. Hmm. Um, as long as each item is less than thirty thousand dollars, then you are fine. Okay, so if you if you are buying things with multiple items, get the invoice to make sure invoice it on a per item basis. Yeah, yeah. and I think you it's get it be, reflected to show that it's yeah. going to be great for car dealers. You know, yep. like traders, oh, and, and and also Jerry Harvey and Officeworks and all these companies mm. that sell computers. You know, JB Hi-Fi. Mm. It's 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 good stuff. It's it's kind of helps the economy at the right time. All right, superannuation, mate. Well, what about super? Mm. Yeah, there are a couple of small changes to super there that uh, are good for the um, good for the individual. They're increasing um, the contributions where you can contribute money into super without meeting that work test. Mm. Um, that's now going up to 67 to line up with the new pension with the pension threshold. Mm. So 65 and 66, you'll be able to remove that work test, so you can still make contributions into super. Previously, it was still stuck at 65, which sort of was a little bit unfair with the changes to the to the way the uh, pension's going yep. so that's that's a bit of an improvement also it means that if you've got a bit of extra cash um sitting around you can use what's called the bring forward provisions so that's where you can roll together three years in advance of your contributions they can now be made up until um 66 years old mm. so that it's one to keep an eye out for if you've got inheritances and things like that that have recently come in and you've got a bit of spare cash that's had tax paid on it in the past mm. well now you'll be able to have a couple of extra years to get that money into super. So that's, that's a, a pretty good one uh, for a, a lot of um, superannuation. Um, obviously, still obviously still imposed are all these standard caps that came in last year. They've been carried over to the $1.6 million cap. That's one of the, the big ones here for superannuation. So it's really more about the, the proposed budget. It's more about just in allowing some people to get that bit of extra time to get some super into, into yeah. your, your fund. Was there anything in there that investors should be aware of? Um um, so some of the well, not so much from 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 this particular budget the, on on this side of on the liberal side of the equation as far as where the investors are going for, it's a bit of more uh, business as usual um, as far as uh, the, some of the things that we've re reviewed in. Mm. So the investor side of things, pretty straightforward. It's more so it's for alternate policies that are probably the biggest issue that I've seen for investors. Coming yeah, up and we're Paul and I have talked about the Bill Shorten effects as well, so we won't go mm. there. What is the cost and reward equation for someone going to an accountant now before the end of the financial year? 
Yeah, so we see about coming to an accountant now. So whilst we've still got a couple of months up our sleeve before the 30th of June and the end of the financial year, it's really about seeing, well, what's some choices that I can do now that can make a positive effect on my tax situation? So that could be even as something as discussing with your accountant if you're thinking about selling an asset, so an investment property that might have a large capital gain that's pending. We're saying, well, should I sell it now or should I sell it in the new financial year? So you have that discussion about where you're taxable income is likely to be, particularly if you're thinking of retiring or going on maternity leave, things like that, where you might have a significant change in income, um, to also other things about, well, what's some deductions that you can have a chat with your accountant. So I have many, I have a few clients that might undertake some very large self-education expenses that can sometimes run into ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000, and we'll have that discussion about, is it best off to pay, out, pay these in advance this financial year, or hold those over to next financial year? depending on their particular situation because the ATO is looking at if your relative tax rate in any one year is the value of that deduction. So if you're earning, say, $200,000 this year, you're paying 47% tax, but then if next year you're taking eight months off because you want to take a trip around the world or something and your tax rate's now down only to 32%, well, then your value of your deduction is only to the value of that tax rate. So if Mm. the following year you're paying zero tax, well, then the tax deduction is worth nothing. So you're saying... it's really important... You're sort of saying that if you're going to have a big self-education expense, do it in the year when you're really on a high tax rate. Correct, and that's and that could be and that's where you're in this window now between now and over the next few months, where you've got you should by this stage have a pretty good idea of what income you've earned for this financial year, and hopefully have a bit of an indication of what the horizon is for the next financial year, as to where you might be looking at to be spending that money. So you might have a situation where. I'm selling a property this year, so let's also load up a whole lot of deductions as well in order to um, try to average out that tax rates where my income might be a bit lower next year. Okay, so last question, Giles. That's where that discussion will help. Last question. Big mistakes people make that ends up meaning they pay too much tax. Just in a nutshell, we'll, we'll get you back because you, you reminded me how interesting you are when it comes to tax, but just give us, <laughs> give us one as a tease so people will have to listen to more Gilesy in the future. My biggest one, it's people buying or start buying assets in the wrong names. That's a very common one where people will buy something in a personal name and thinking that's great, I'm getting a negative geared loss or something. But then five years later when they sell it and they've got a massive capital gains and wonder why I've got to pay them so much tax. Or even something as simple as even people starting up sometimes a small business in the wrong entity. Mm. It's those two types of structuring things is where for me as an accountant, it can be almost next to impossible to unpick when it's already happened. And those are the types of ones where it can be very expensive mistakes. And it really doesn't uh, so take much to get it right up front, does it? I mean, just no. a bit of investment. But sometimes so it's just a 15, 20-minute chat with your accountant, and you can sometimes be saving yourself hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of tax later on. <laughs> but by but, just but doing you're that. right. Once you set it up, if you start it off the wrong way, yeah. unpicking it can be uh, not just yeah. a nightmare. It can be so, so expensive. Hey, Giles. Yeah, I have these discussions, yeah. Next yeah. time you come on, the headline is going to be, if you're starting a small business... Do this to make sure you don't lose hundreds of thousands of dollars when you're a success. How's that? I reckon that's a fair one, Pete. Uh, okay. I reckon we can do some excellent work on that. All right, excellent, mate. Thanks for joining us, Gilesy. Thank you very much. That's David Giles from MoneyWise. Well, Paul, that's the show for today. I think we've done a pretty good job. I think it's been a good show, Peter, and a uh, lot to look forward to with uh, an election oh, just yeah. around the corner, we maybe. Don't know, we don't know the date at this stage, do we? Still, he hasn't come I up think, with the date. Uh, I think it's at May 18, but, yeah. we, but you never know. Maybe he'll, he could stretch it to May the 25th if he's really keen. But okay. uh, 
I don't know. We'll, uh, it's not too far away, Peter. We're just counting the days. Okay, that's great stuff. Thanks for joining us on the show. We'll talk to you next week. Quitting time! Quitting time! <laughs>